Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The following program is brought to you by the Preferred Home Team. Content is provided for general information only and should not be treated as a substitute for professional advice from your legal or real estate advisors. Welcome to the Real Estate Radio Hour, a forum of ideas, plans, and expert advice on all things real estate. Andy Prasky with Remax Advantage Plus was named Super Agent by Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. Chris Rooney of Remax Preferred is a Lakeshore and Luxury Home Specialist. Together they cover the Twin Cities. This combined dynamic duo has sold over 2,000 homes, ranked in the top 1% nationwide, top 10 in the state of Minnesota and still have time to get together every Saturday to talk about real estate. Here's Abby Prasky and Chris Rooney, Denny Law, and the Real Estate Radio Hour. And here we are, another edition of a real estate show here on 830-WCCO. Chris and Andy in studio. Doggone it. Barry's back. Barry's back. Barry's back. What is that about? What are you talking about? We got him handcuffed. We wouldn't let him leave. <laughs> the fastest week I've ever spent as, as, he, as he was going out, he, he stopped in the green room and was talking to Andy and I, and he goes, gosh, you know, I, I listen to you guys when I leave, and he goes, I think you actually know what you're talking about. So I said, you're on our show. <laughs> so we, we brought like him back in to prove it and say it on air. Yeah, that's like, right. Well, I figured sucking up is always a good idea, you know, <laughs> especially you, it's Thanksgiving week, right? We're in a holiday mode. But you guys are really connected in various ways, not the least oh, of yeah. which is when you, uh, in your teaching job, uh, you talk to a real estate agent. Absolutely. Yeah. And have, I mean, you know, for 25 years, I began teaching realtors. Uh, basics of housing construction. It was the one thing that it's like I knew a little bit more than the typical realtor about how houses were built. So they let me talk about it. Excellent. Cool. Well, that's what we, we started getting into that because I had a stucco house that had been tested for moisture. There's three different spots in this house that uh, tested higher. Yep. You know, that it, they, they were red. Right. And so it was kind of like, okay. And so I'm like, we're going to rip out the sheetrock because typically what people do is rip off all the stucco. Andy got into a situation oh, yeah. like that. But we went in and tore off the sheetrock and looked at it from the inside, and there was nothing wrong. Yep. So what's – Well, I mean, it's, it's a fascination because when we do a moisture probe or a test inside a wall, we're looking for the moisture content inside the wood. That doesn't tell us that how long it's been there. We don't know when it was, was caused. We're making all kinds of presumptions. And because of that, we make the assumption that, oh, we must have a problem here if we get higher readings. Now, rotting funguses don't attack wood whose moisture content is below 19%. So we really need to have something in the 30s to 40s before we have a sustainable position where mold can grow and then rot can form in the lumber. So the biggest issue then yeah. is to say, well, how wet is it? When you start seeing moisture content of 60 and 70%, you're saying, well, that's likely that we're going to have found a, a growth there that's going to create a quick and ready cubicle brown rot in our lumber and it's going to die. But I would never test from the exterior 
and make the presumption that I have a problem. I want to go inside and see it because the repair cost is so much less. If I do have a problem, I can know it. Okay, bingo. Now I have to take stucco off perhaps. But to presume I have a problem without being certain, man, right. man what's the story? Well, and I was going to say, a lot of times too, I think we, we, uh, when we, we were talking about this too. We identified as being a stucco problem, and it's not a stucco problem. It's a moisture problem. Absolutely. So I think a lot of times we think, well, let's get that bad stucco off. It's right. not the stucco. It's, it's that water's getting behind it somewhere, and the stucco's doing such a good job of doing its job, the moisture can't get back out the same way it came in. Absolutely. It, the biggest issue for the longest time was people blamed the material. They mm-hmm. did not understand the installation, nor did they understand the building physics that were taking place there. Where How is vapor getting in? Where's it coming from? And as the codes changed and literally gave us walls that could not dry, mm-hmm. the only option we had was to not let them get wet. Well, that's an almost impossibility in the real world of residential construction. Yeah, well, and you know, when you look at, Chris, too, the... The installation of the, you know, some of these beautiful communities. I had one up on the TPC in Blaine where we listed, and this was a couple years back, and they immediately identified it as being a window leaking, you know, stucco problem. And so they ripped off the back of this house. We dove into the project and we realized, oh, my gosh, there, there's not a lot of anything here. There's there's no reason why we should have ripped the back of this house off. Wow. And then we look at, this was one of the best of the best guys in the business that did it. And they said, well, we're not responsible for you know, we're only responsible for the tests that we did. We're not responsible for the liability of if we made a mistake. And we'll oh. give you back the money of the inspection, basically, is what it was. Oh, and it goodness. was a $47,000 problem. And we were in a market where, thank goodness, it was is we, we could recover it. And the house had enough equity there. But it was, you know, it gets into that mistake of where I think, you know, we overreact. And, I, and I, that's why I thought we should maybe talk today a little bit. Chris wanted to talk about this, too. How we overreact to some of these home inspections. Yep. And, and I think that there's understanding the true source of the problem, I think, is the key thing. You know, like an investigation, dig back to why is this issue happening? Can you fix it? Or is it something that can't be fixed and we need to walk away from the, the house that we're thinking about buying, you know? And right. Yeah. I don't know. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? How many of these houses, you know, I mean, as we go through the inspection process that where it's just you're like, you guys aren't totally. getting it. Yeah. Well, and I think what's really interesting, I think this would maybe be another little good topic here, is that when people go into this inspection, they want it like what 2017 codes are. Well, that house was built 14 years ago. Right. You know, and I and I think in a way, I mean, if a house has sat for 14 years, you got a heck of a lot better indication than a house that's 2017. I tell because this to people all the time. It's like you have a 1950s. You've watched it. You know how it's moved. You've seen the foundation. A crack a quarter inch in the foundation of a block wall of a 1950s right. home. Where's it going? Nowhere. You know, we've got 65 years of experience with this. Mm-hmm. Now, you see an eighth-inch crack in a foundation that was put in six months ago. To me, that's a much bigger concern. We don't know what that will do. It may not be a big issue at all, but right. it's a much bigger issue because it hasn't had the timeline right. telling us how significant the problem actually is. I had a perfect example that over we were on the river over in uh, Coon Rapids, and we had a property that had the foundation where it was cracked. It was a 50s-built home. And the uh, they brought in a concrete guy and just said, you know, this older guy's been in the business a long time, well respected individual up in the area, uh, first name Dale. Um, anyway, the uh, <laughs> super cool guy, and he says, you guys listen, just like you just said. He goes, this house has almost fifty plus years of experience or more, and it's been sitting here doing a great job. He goes, I don't think I'm worried about this failing at all. He says, actually, I, I think this is a success story. And and they looked at him and they're like, are you sure? <laughs> he's like, yeah, well, yeah. you know, what points to the wall says it's been here longer than you have, you know, and it's, it's still standing fine, you know? So anyway, I think that that's an interesting concept is, 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 you know, home inspections. And I know a lot of home inspectors 
work very hard at what they do. They go out and they do the inspections and they have experience in different, you know, aspects of, of maybe they were a framer or maybe they were an electrician or a plumber. And so they're really good at that individual aspect. Where do you think home inspections are going? This is my question to you. I mean, do we need to go to the level of where we bring in all different experts and have four or five different opinions on a house? Or what do you think, Barry? It's a great question. Number one, the universalist of knowledge in the construction industry is a rare person who's had experience. And I don't mean read about it but or, or looked at pictures, mm-hmm. but it's actually been there. And seen it has engineering background, has framing background, has drywall finishing background, has foundations, has soil analysis background. Mm-hmm. Now take on mechanical systems. An, an HVAC guy doesn't necessarily know anything about electrical and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And now you get into some of the fancier stuff relative to security systems and to low voltage. And you want one person to come in and evaluate a home? It's insane. And oh, by the way, you're charging me too much. I only want to pay $200 for your home inspection. <laughs> I mean, the consumer beats up on these people. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? It should be the opposite. Let's right. invest $1,500 on the front end right. and get a complete analysis done from everything top to bottom. Have that person be the, the, you know, the ringleader and have them bring in their electricians, their plumbers, their yes. insulation experts, their moisture. You know. and, and that's, I, it's always baffled me, the buyers, that they're so worried about that $200 to $400 on the front end. And then they'll pick whoever's available, has nothing to do with their credentials. They'll, they'll rush an inspection because this is the only guy that's available on Tuesday, and that's when I have the afternoon off. And so let's go with this guy. And it just it shocks me. Well, I, I think the mindset has grown in the culture that houses aren't that complicated. I don't really need a person who's an expert. We tend to look, especially people that I find that are professionals at some area, we just think of tradespeople. We yep. still think it's carpenters. Right. And we don't understand the technology changes, the chemistry changes, the building code changes, the significance of this stuff, and how much a contractor has been stretched in the last 25 years right. for what they didn't know. Now they've had to learn, and they're like, man, I'm, I'm becoming a genius here. But I'm mm-hmm. only doing that in the one little narrow swath of information relative to my expertise. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to learn because there's no lifetime big enough for that. Right. And the consumer totally. is totally lost on that as an idea. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I bless consumers. But you know what? It's time for somebody to speak the truth to them and say, that's just you're misunderstanding what we're talking about here. Correct. I, I agree a thousand percent. I think that they're and to kind of wrap that up, too. I think that you get a lot of the younger kids that have had helicopter parents and, and they're out buying their first house and the parents are listening to the parents as much as anybody. They just want one person to validate. Yep, this is a good decision you're making, son or daughter, and go ahead and purchase this house. And they're not getting into the like you talk about the technical aspects of it, the products being used. Do those, you know, the new products that were applied last year, let's say they insulated the house and we've talked about this. And then they put the, a different kind of house wrap on it, a different kind of siding on and they put a different kind of whatever. And these are all new products that have not been together before. And then they say, well, is this house healthy? How do you know you have no history on that house other than it's been well insulated for a year but you don't know the performance long term, right? You know, and it's so the building codes tend to be presumptive and reactive, and by that I mean we will take a building code thinking this is a good idea. All our testing tells us <laughs> this. We've never actually built them this way, and now we make it a code. Now we build them all right. that way, and we wait and see and watch and go. Oh, you know what? That's not a very good idea. Right. We'll change the code based on the results of our code. Well, and what's funny is that then you can't hold them responsible or liable for this because you can't sue the city per se, right? So you they're enforcing a code that they're not responsible for long term, which is a whole other category of 
conversation. Well, we could have a whole uh, – yeah, I could go there and have a lot of fun with that. We should get some politics We might just involved. do that next segment because you're sticking around. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Danny's going to break in here because we're having way too much fun. Warm up the coffee pot, huh? <laughs> I'll leave her. I'm Barry, drinking water. Barry will be on till midnight tonight. Uh, Say so we'll uh, take this break and be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our Real Estate show. If you want to get in on the conversation, I'm going to give you the phone number and the text number, 651-989-9226 for your real estate question, or send a text, 81807. Chris and Andy and yeah. Barry. Yeah, people just tuned in. We kept Barry. Sound like we the Bee Gees. over, yes, and we're keeping them again. <laughs> or the Stooges, your, your choice. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, we're talking about. There are three of us, that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's an interesting group. But anyways. But we're um, having fun. We can say that absolutely, much, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I wanted to kind of go back to stucco and the whole moisture problem where people think hey, a stucco house has got moisture. Andy, thank you that it's not stucco that's the problem. Mm-hmm. It's the moisture that's the problem. But for a, for an amateur buyer or a realtor looking before they do the tests and everything, what are some telltale signs that maybe you might have some issues? Well, there's two things that I tend to look at. Number one, get around the foundation and see how close is the stucco to the ground. And if it comes all the way into the soil, we're going to get a wicking from soil moistures up through the stucco. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean we have a wall rot problem behind it? No. It just means that we have a water source where that stucco is being given a fresh dose of water at every rainfall. So what's behind it? That's everything. And will it do damage to the wall? Well, that's an area for me I don't want to check. I'd want to look. But my system of checking would be to take the base molding off adjacent to that location on a foundation wall and go into the drywall and actually examine the stud wall cavity. Because I can inject foam back in that, do a drywall patch if needed, or just replace the base molding, and no one knows I was there. And I've done a physical evaluation with a lit camera so I can see. I've taken pictures. I know exactly what's going on. I'm not presuming on a high moisture content in a stud to decide I've got a rotted problem. Mm -hmm. To me, it just makes sense. That's the only way I would ever approach that. So, Barry, if you buy that house that has that wicking, what would you – I mean, is that something that you would change? Or I, no, I want to lobby the seller first to make sure I do the investigation before. Once I know I haven't got a problem and I bought a clean home, yeah. then I'm looking at that going, if I've got an exterior detail that is not ca- causing a problem, I'm not looking to solve it. I don't want to throw money at something that isn't going to make a difference. Now, we've had actually cut stucco off at six inches above grade, installed a metal flashing piece down below grade to cover that grade seam. And I think that's a really good idea, but I am going to be on a site-by-site basis to make that determination. If I've got ponding water in the backyard, then yes, I will do that. Mm -hmm. But if I've got slope away and I get a periodic heavy soak, then I probably wouldn't take the money and do it that way. Okay. So one one sign is telltale sign is probably, you know, ground. Ground over the stucco at yes. the foundation, mm-hmm. number two. I would go out to look at every window opening, and I would look at the base on the sides of the window. Typically, when we don't flash windows well, and by the way, our flashing details have radically changed in the last 20 years. I mean, it's nothing like what we did years ago. Years ago, you'd stick a window in place. Maybe you'll caulk it to the sheathing. Maybe you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And you'd put a flashing piece at the top of the window, nail the window in, and you're done. Mm. That's it. There was no house wrap, and there was no caulking. There was no rubber tape. When I first introduced the idea of multiple layers of rubber tape for a window installation, (laughs) my contractor classes began to groan, scream, yell, laugh with derision at the whole idea that anyone 
would ever do such a thing. And now it's done on every window and every door installed in Minnesota by the mandate of law. Yeah, and now guys are like, well, of course we're doing it this way because we began to realize what we used to do didn't work. Right. And again, it, it worked when houses could dry easily to the inside. But once you wind up putting a piece of plastic sheet on that surface, the house can't dry to the inside. Now you have to let it dry to the outside. Well, it's not going to do that through stucco and the physics of that. Just guarantee we're not going to get good drying that way. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm looking for gray-toned streaking on the left and right side of a window for indication that I might have a problem. Okay. And that's not a guarantee. And I don't want to be an alarmist because I think we've got plenty of home inspectors who already are good at that. But I do (laughs) want to suggest that that's an area where we look for concerns because the fundamental problem relative to stucco is going to be moisture source at grade, moisture source at penetrations. So any penetration that's not caulked or sealed or maintained is going to be suspect. And so windows, doors, uh, sidewall venting, Penetrations for plumbing, all of those are areas where in that space we've got to pay attention to what's taking place. So I would, if I've got a rim joist, for example, between a first and second floor and I've got a bath fan exhausting through that location, then I think I've got dark gray stucco beneath that fan house side again to look for the problem. Mm-hmm. Has it gotten into the framing? Maybe it's just stained stucco because it is getting wet. And it's easy sometimes to misread algae that might form on the surface, especially on a north face of a house rather than a south face, mm-hmm. and go, oh, that must be mold. Not, 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 it's algae, and it's topical. It can be washed off. Right. I'm talking too much. Sorry. No, no. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, I'll tell you what. That. I wanna, we need to take our bottom-of-the-hour break. Another half hour of the show to go. And if you do want to join in on the conversation, by all means, call us or text us, 651-989-9226. Text is 81 81- Eight zero seven. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our real estate show here on 830 WCCO. Chris and Andy and Barry in studio. And again, if you want to join in on the conversation, my phone is 651-989-9226. Or if it's easier, uh, send a text, 81807. Yeah, we got a text here. Who pays the closing costs, buyer or seller? Or do each have their own costs? Mm. And that's the correct answer, but sometimes you negotiate who pays for them. Oh, totally. I think that right now there's a perception out there that the closing costs have no value, and they ask on an offer for closing costs like it's no big deal. And what it comes down to is as a seller, you have to remember, your bottom line is your bottom line. What is your expenses to the sale? That's an expense to you if they ask you to pay it. It's just like asking for a discount. Use it at the same way. And some people say, I'm not going to pay closing costs no matter what. You can pay closing costs and raise the purchase price of the house to accommodate that. You don't have to take it out of your bottom line. You can actually help them by becoming – here's the thing I'd say. You don't want to eliminate a buyer because they're a little tighter on cash and they want to buy your house at the price you want. They just don't know where to come up with the money. So sometimes raising that price a little bit to accommodate that, you're you're going to be okay. I've, I've had that where the, the sellers say there's no way I'm paying those buyers closing costs. If they can't mm-hmm. afford the closing costs, then they shouldn't be buying this house. Right. It's kind of like you got to get over that. Yeah, you don't. Want to you know, because that's. On your I mean, buyers. yeah, because in in some ways, I mean, if you're going to finance and say it's at four percent, you're you're financing ten thousand dollars at four percent. You might want to be able to use your money elsewhere. Mm-hmm. That's not a. It's not a dumb thing in which to do. Right. You know. So that's you know we're talking about um, or an article came out. Yep. About uh, costs and you know what what's the best value for your money and finishing a basement or finishing a bedroom or putting on a front door. And all that kind of stuff. But I thought that mm-hmm. would maybe be interesting to ask Barry about um, costs for different things. Like, you know, we, we get a lot of calls that, hey, you know what? We want to do a, a new bathroom and, and redo that. 
And it's kind of like we always kind of talk about, well, it depends. we got to see the house. Right. You know, so if you have in this totally 1970s dated house and you got this beautiful new bathroom, it's not going to do you a lot. Right. You know, I might have suggested, hey, let's just get some paint on all of this. And, right. you know, we might be able to get more out of that. But so what would a, I mean, what would your normal bathroom cost if you're in a, you know, 250 to 350 home? Yeah. If we're talking about a master bath, are we talking about a household use bath, those are going to be slightly different because we have buyers today looking for a master to have some uh, bells and whistles that we wouldn't expect to have in the family bathroom. Walk-in shower. Yeah, but in 1950s, I say 1950s, 5 by 10, 12 grand is a starting point in coming up from there to redo a bath gut to the studs. Now, we live in high-end world where I work, and mm-hmm. we've, we spent $300,000 on a bathroom. You know, you bring in five foot by five foot book, Was that Andy's book bathroom? and matched marble <laughs> floor wife. pieces, and you cut the floor open to put your steel bearing beams in to support your load. And it's a remarkable room. I'm you sure. Know, with, with the his and hers full blown dressing spaces, the elevated tub. I mean, it's just. I thought you were going to say swimming pools. No, but it, they've got one of those too, just in the lower level. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it's crazy. So I else. always come back to, you know, what. When people think about it, they've got to look around. Price point, give me a range, 15% either way of what I think I'm going to sell or my value of my home, and then look at what's being done in that marketplace in new construction. Mm -hmm. And you get within a couple of miles of what's being built new and say, that's the high-level expectation. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to get somewhere within 85 or 90% of that expectation when I'm done with my project. Now the question is, what's my return on that investment? Well, maybe all I've done is get my house to the place where someone will buy it or will offer where I'm actually expecting to get an offer. Yeah. Well, we talk, Chris and I talk about that all the time, where all of a sudden you do a bunch of improvements to a home, not always necessarily to sell the house for more money, but to make your house more attractive, to maybe lower the days on market or just put it into what we consider to be the most attractive house at the best value. And, you know, what's interesting, though, is that this this report that we were kind of talking about was the the changes in um, popular remodeling projects. So it's kind of showing how the demand or what's valuable to buyers is slightly changing, but it doesn't shock me. Some of the best improvement from last year to this year where they're gaining momentum is bathroom remodeling, garage door replacement, windows, patios, um, upgrading the front elevation like with stone, um, having, uh, let's see here, master suite additions. Um, no big shocker there. I mean, Chris and I have talked about this for years, right. that bathrooms, the one that, that shocks me though, it's not even in the top 10 is the kitchens. And it's, it's mostly focusing on bathroom improvements and master bath and basement additions and, and things like that. And so it's just interesting because trends change guys, right? You're listening to the radio show last year. We might've told you it was the front steel front door is the best investment. It might still be, but that's a $300 investment. So it doesn't take much for it to improve 20%. But Right. Well, I think those are important considerations, too. What is the total price tag that yeah. we're talking about? And when you start thinking about a, a kitchen today that's going to be forty to $75,000 yep. on an improvement, you've got to have a lot of house margin for that to hold value. And if the kitchen wasn't bad to begin with, I mean, the kitchen was in 20 years of age, it wasn't horrible. Right. So you're, you're improving something that wasn't bad. Right. So suddenly we're starting to look at a different age of home. Now you start to look at the improvement on that and go, well, what do I take this? Right. You know, yeah. I, so I'm going to spend money to gut a kitchen? No, it doesn't make any sense. 
start spending money maybe on a countertop, and now that small level improvement is going to affect the pizzazz factor when you walk into that. Drop in a new sink, new faucet, and now, oh, looks like a whole new kitchen. Compared to the new. Exactly. A variation of a remodel is, I mean, new front cabinet doors. Right. I mean, that can change the whole thing if you right. if you go to enameling some countertops, some appliances. Maybe add a a, a bank of more cabinets. Right. You know, uh, a new center island. All those little things make a different mm-hmm. a backsplash. Right. We've been using that a lot now, yep. and I'm telling you that just that changes a house. We did one with had Formica countertops, mm-hmm. and we were like, he goes, I just don't want to, I don't want to redo those. Mm-hmm. And so we did a backsplash, a 2017 backsplash, yep. and uh, totally kind of shot your eyes right to that versus right. the countertops that mm-hmm. sold right away. Well, and you know, and think about this too, guys. With home improvements, I always look at it this way. It's kind of like, you know, restoring a car. And you, if you're buying a car to flip it, to sell it, sometimes just, you know, uh, actually rebuilding the engine is sufficient Yet you polish it up and you put it up for sale because that's the best return. Right. Versus if you're going to own that car and you say, you know what, I'd really like to put a brand new engine in this car with air conditioning and, you know, and you upgrade those things that are important to you because you're going to hold that car and you're going to enjoy the benefit of it and you're going to actually, uh, you'll get the reward out of it, you know, versus just trying to flip it for an investment. Well, what does the market care about? And what does the appraiser look at relative to value? I mean, those are fascinating questions to me. I've taught appraisers in class for decades now and constantly someone says, well, I'm going to put a new siding. Okay, well, did you upgrade your windows? Right. Well, no, that you got new siding, but your windows are still sucking. And your soffits are dripping paint. You know, yes. Dripping paint. Right. So you do one item and think, well, what's my return on that investment? Well, I didn't do this, this, or this. People are like, well, I put a new roof on. Yeah, well, what does your siding look like? <laughs> and so, oh, I got a new roof. There should I only be value to this. one of my teeth. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. That's an excellent analogy because I don't think that most people realize all in many cases we're trying to do That's is That's a to true statement, to, by the way. What, did well, they straighten just one? Just I'm on one my fourth of, tooth just right one now. Of I got to uh, yeah, straighten it out next We're week. slowly working about one Why do you think time. he's on radio, Barry? <laughs> yeah, he I, got my buddy, smart, uh, but... I got my buddy Helmick up there in uh, Elbertville doing it for me. So, Text question. The stucco on my 1920s house has never been painted, but a lot of my neighbors have painted the stucco. Does the paint make it harder for moisture to escape? Yes, the answer is simple. Yes. The answer is simple, and the other answer is simple, is that it also it, makes it's it harder huge for, for resale. It's harder for moisture to get in, too. Yeah. Mm. yeah, right. So the other side of that is if you use a vinyl designed with a Portland base that's going to embed, basically etch its way into the face of the stucco, you're going to have much better installation, and you don't have to worry about never latex, for goodness sakes. Hmm. Okay, another one. How has water level variations in White Bear Lake affect lakeshore property valuations? Mm. Okay, I don't really work the White Bear Lake area, well, but think, think of Prior Lake, lake as having somebody pull the plug out and having the lakeshore extend that, another yeah. hundred feet in front of your cabin. Absolutely. Now you're actually mowing grass that used to be beach. It, you're seeing a lot of that, and they're they're claiming that they've kind of come to a some kind of a solution in that area, and that property values will rebound. What's what was really interesting is I was shopping with a million dollar buyer up in that marketplace, and they were not affected by that at all. They didn't care. They figured there'd be some resolution down the road that would you know happen. And they were still shopping for the right, you know, location, the right elevation, the right plan, you know, and that didn't affect them at all. I think anytime you have variations in anything, it's just like buying a house that's backed up to a farm field. Right. If people don't know what's going to happen in that farm field, it's always going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's going to be some sort of issues for some people. For others, it's not going to be. Take away the what ifs. Yeah, yeah. If you get rid of the what ifs, that I mean, that's your best. Thing. That's why we always say, you know, when listing a house, you know, we got to price it right. We have to have it in good condition. And you got to give people the information to make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just talking like what you're talking about with the whole stucco thing. You know, when they, when they question something, 
then it's kind of like, you know, so it's nice to be able to have those moisture tests right. already because, yeah. oh, it's oh, it's fine. But when they're bad, you right. know, now it's Speaking like if you didn't finish them. boys, oh. I want to talk about bedrooms. So we, we've had this question. This <laughs> wow. is something we always talk about off air. We're going to take it back into the inside. Um, the, when we talk about bedrooms and somebody says, yep, there's five bedrooms in the house. And I walk through the house and go, I only counted four. And, you know, and, and so let's talk a little bit about that, too, because I know that's a topic that has been a hot topic for people, because adding a bedroom adds value in a home to the perception of the buyer, the appraisal and everything else. It can it can add value. So that's a popular thing to do. What are we seeing or what's required to add a bedroom. Well, there's, I mean, I, I'd be careful here. Code <laughs> changed in 2015. Prior to that, anything that didn't have a six foot, eight inch ceiling was not considered habitable space. Mm-hmm. So somebody's got a basement space and it's six foot, seven and five eighths inches tall. It's, it's not habitable space by definition. So you cannot legally define that space or sell that space as a bedroom. But nobody knew it. Right. So if people didn't know it, they'd still call it a bedroom and people would still sleep down there. Yep. So does it meet – whose standard are we talking about? Is this an FHA requirement? Is this a building code requirement? Is this a locally accepted terminology from the real estate professionals requirement? MLS, is, right. It, yes. Who is defining the standard? And it always drives back down to that issue. I was told when I came in by the guy who wrote Minnesota Real Estate, the educational guru in Minnesota, that all bedrooms had to have closets. Right. And now, and that's what? a, a it was a perceived item. Well, that's not required by state code. No, no. You don't. Why can't? Why not put your clothes in an armoire? Right. You don't totally. need a closet for that. That's why I brought it up. Andy doesn't hang his clothes, his oh. t-shirts. <laughs> I got hooks everywhere. I just hang stuff on. It's easy. Way faster. At this point, let's take a break. Oh yeah, we have so, we have more show to come. Oh, thanks, here Andy. I'm glad you're still here, buddy. <laughs> I'm glad you are too. This is entertaining. <laughs> 34 degrees, a few clouds. We'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our real estate show here on A3OWC. So we have still a a chance to uh, pick on uh, more of your questions, either by text or by phone, 651-989-9226. Text is 81807, but you wanted to make mention. Got an exciting okay. announcement. Uh-oh, Andy, what do you got? Well, I was going to say, this is the longest first segment I've ever seen with Barry. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, I'll be there for segment. one segment, guys. Yeah, I'll stay for one. 50 minutes later. <laughs> it's seamless. It's interesting <laughs> watching Andy and Barry together, isn't it? That's great. That could be yeah. a whole day show. <laughs> I need a nap. Yeah. <laughs> Just to get there drinking coffee while Andy is. All right, I'm staying with <laughs> yeah. the water. I got to. Yeah. But we have an exciting announcement to make. Uh, we uh, have been working on, um, you know, there's a huge thing out there. It's, it's on all the TV shows where people are redoing houses. Yeah, We're going to do one as well. We're going to donate all the money to charity. So we've located a house. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, our title sponsor, Demcon Construction. Um, they're out in uh, Chaska. They're uh, going to be buying it and funding it and getting us all uh, set up. And we're going to be following it online. Um you know, and then talking about it on the radio through the whole process. And then, you know, we'll even have... We're going to do a show? To do well, a show what, out what I'm yeah. excited, Denny, is that the people that are at home that have always, you know, fantasized about, like, flipping a house or remodeling their own house, this will be a great free front row seat to watching this happen and learning and, and absorbing and what, you know, decisions we have to make. We're going to try to do as much of it as we can online. We're going to try to, you know, obviously bring in guests during the time, too. But we're also going to be available to have tours of the house throughout the process so people can actually... Contact us and we can run them through. And uh, if they want to take a tour of the progress as it's happening, um, we're going to try to set that up as well so that you can be interactive and involved. And then mm-hmm. uh, towards the end here, we're going to we haven't announced yet which the chair which charities we're going to benefit. But 
the goal is is to do more than one and uh, and have some fun with it. So going to good causes. That's great. Oh, for sure. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's going to be. You'll hear more about it here in the show. Yeah, because yeah. everyone that's involved in the process is going to get their hard costs paid for, but they're donating all their time and labor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be pretty good. So. We'll see you out there, Barry. Put you to work. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> that would be fun to at least visit. For you're sure. in charge of the tours. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, over here you're going to see where Chris did not complete his project. <laughs> <laughs> they won't let me do anything. <laughs> well, we met in the green be room before. We've oh, yeah. we passed by in the oh, green yeah. room, but yeah, you know, we haven't really interacted like this. So right, it was quite quite a good time. Wood foundations. Yeah, uh, nay. I did six of them as a builder. My grandfather got us into one, and uh, he did his house on one. And we did, and nothing wrong with them when they're done right. Absolutely nothing wrong with the wood foundation done correctly. They meet all codes. They handle all the loads of soils, but they have to be built differently than a standard block or poured foundation, which is the key. So the first time anyone builds a wood foundation, do they understand the differences required from it? Back in the day, we were supposed to use a double-dipped hot galvanized nail on the wood foundation attachment of the plywood to the framing member. Well, today it's stainless steel because we learned that the hot dip galvanized nails couldn't stand up to time and water. So we learned some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't realize any of that. So the very first house we did was within standard cement-coated sinkers, which is the wrong eight-penny nail to use to attach. Now, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that that house in North St. Paul has enough dirt holding the plywood tight to the framing that it hasn't moved around. But I don't know that for <laughs> sure because we didn't know. So I've made mistakes based on ignorance. And now, of course, as we've caught up with information, a wood foundation has to be looked at by someone who understands the requirements of its original build. And, and I've heard warmer, drier. Uh, is it more cost effective than concrete? Or what, oh, absolutely. Why, what, is yes. the, what is the, I guess, why, what's the draw to the wood product? A uh, couple of things. Number one, price point. Number two, warmer, drier. And I think number three, from a builder of seamlessness, you can eliminate the concrete contractor. You, have, you don't have that sub involved. Mm-hmm. You can do a gravel-based footing rather than a concrete footing. Take concrete out of the picture. Use your framing carpenter to do the work. Right. Now, they, whatever they build, if it's out of plumb, out of square, out of level, right. they're responsible for well, it. Well, see, when they Chris, the... now that, that validates you with your plywood driveway, so you won't be the only guy <laughs> eliminating the concrete guy. You... It's, it's bumpy getting in, but it's not bad. <laughs> a little slippery when it's wet. They put the wrong gravel under it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> wasn't me. <laughs> He's, Chris is an innovator. We, uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, Always testing things, Barry. Really good plywood, yeah, too, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to say something, but Andy threw me off. Um, <laughs> did, did you get any uh, other – because you, I think you brought in a couple of text messages. Yeah, I know. We've been getting them over Facebook, which okay. has been pretty cool. We have about two um, minutes or so No trespassing signs. They uh, Do they eliminate liability on vacant lots, Mr. No. Brasky? Not at all. Yeah, nothing. I mean, nothing eliminates anything anymore, mm-hmm. you know, unless you put a uh, gate. But you can prosecute based on that. It, it detours. I mean, it tells people that, hey, this is our space, and you've, you know, and they'll ask those questions too. Do you have it clearly marked? The insurance wants that. No hunting, that. no mm-hmm. trespassing, yeah. whatever. And, and we, yeah, you should mark everything. Hey, Andy, I was going to say too, you know, we're getting to a time that there's a, that little white stuff that's going to fall on the grounds. Mm-hmm. And if people are thinking about listing our house maybe here in December, January, February, you know, it might be smart maybe to snap a few photos of the outside. Sure. Well, you know, even if the uh, we think, oh, geez, it's kind of getting gloomy out there, it's still better to have something that you can show a potential buyer. This is how the landscaping lays out. This is how our little koi pond sits in the backyard before it gets buried in snow. Um, we were talking about this a couple months ago. We prefer to have a few green pictures, but right. there's a little bit of an issue, though. You know, if you remember this, people are judging you online. That's their first showing is actually done online. And when they look at that and those pictures are super green and lush and it's winter, 
they oh those aren't the right. real pictures right. they're skeptical or it's been on the market forever right yep. so if yep. you put on there that hey these are some quick last minute before the snow flew uh, kind of pictures it makes it more realistic you know it may sure. not be as pretty but um, yeah so I believe uh, big time in uh, getting that done there's also still um, even though it's cold out it a lot of the frost has not yet hit there's still you can still get stuff done outside you know right. fix the things that you need to fix fix that fence whatever it is and, and get that done before winter here we were doing exterior painting last week with oil. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I guess they're saying 47, 48. We'll be putting more latex yep. on on Monday. They were yeah. still dropping that's driveways, good. too. With, with oil, too. I mean, that, that's great because some people need their trim done yep. that they don't do. And I'll tell you, first impressions are unreal. So are you going to go get your real estate license and help us out? Well, I, I, that <laughs> comes up a lot of times. And I'm, yeah, and yeah. I no. Andy got it. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> easy to Anybody get. Anybody can get one if I can get one. Get. I, I, I can't do CRS classes unless I'm a licensed realtor. That's the only reason I would do it. I do GRI classes for realtors, but I don't do CRSs for that reason. We've got 20 seconds to go. Can we find out how to get in touch with you guys? ChrisRooney.com. Prasky.com. Spelled with? P-R-A-S-K-Y.com. All right. And don't call me. Don't call you because you're going to be back. Here, you're going to be back here. I'll be back next next Saturday, Saturday, Saturday You'll be doing tours. Show. You'll be doing tours at our renovation house. All right, excellent. We'll have more show <laughs> next week. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.